We're going to be in Luke chapter, well, we're going to start in Luke chapter 18 today. We're going to mostly be in Luke chapter 19. Jesus had been in Galilee for three and a half years in that region in Judea, and he had been ministering there. Quite often, we get the picture of Jesus in Jerusalem, and that wasn't where the majority of his ministry was. It was outside of Jerusalem. And that's kind of important to understand as we go into this study, knowing that Jesus wasn't going home to go into Jerusalem. He's returning someplace that he visited three times a year for the three big feasts that every Jew, every good Jew, would make sure that they were in Jerusalem for. And so Jesus was now on his way um, to Jerusalem for that feast. Many people there in the region that he was ministering saw the miracles that he had done and believed that he was the Messiah. And even Jesus' closest disciples weren't sure what he was going to do next. You know, Jesus didn't have a program to tell, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Here's all of the details of everything I'm going to do. And so now you're aware of what I'm going to do and be prepared for this now. Uh, they were surprised at what he was doing as he was doing it. Sometimes they were very surprised. Jesus tells his disciples uh, to look into the future. This is what the future holds in Luke chapter 18. In verse 31, um, he picks up here telling them what they should be looking for. And he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. And now, now you would think that him saying that, would be enough for them to say, oh, you know, that's, that's not good. That's scary. That's frightening. You know, and, and you're actually going there? Why, why would you go there? Maybe they would have these questions. But it says in verse 34, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. And so that was like, really? You didn't hear what Jesus just said? They didn't understand clearly that he was going to go to Jerusalem to die? They were thinking he was going to assume the throne. That he was going to establish his kingdom. That he was going to get rid of the enemy being Rome, who was occupying Israel at that time. And so, while he's planning on going there and telling his confidants, these 12 guys that have followed him so closely, they still were oblivious because he had told them before what was going to happen. And they weren't really 
sure what he was talking about. So they didn't understand that he was going to fulfill prophecy. The prophecies were all in the Old Testament. The prophecies were already written. They had the details of the prophecies. So this wasn't like it was coming as a surprise to them, except, of course, if they didn't listen to the prophecies in the first place. We live in a time where we are seeing prophecy fulfilled right before our very eyes. But many people don't like what they see. Many people are concerned about the events that are taking place and saying, this isn't what I expected. I don't like the direction that the nation is going. We're not living in a Christian nation. I don't know if you're aware of that. But as much as people like to think that we're living in a Christian nation, this is not a Christian nation. We don't base our laws and our morals off of... Originally, we used the Judeo-Christian ethic for building what we established here, but we're not following that at all anymore. We just make things up as we go, and that's what's happening in our country right now. You know, whatever goes, and you can see, uh, I don't want you to see, but you can if you want to, look in the news and watch what they're doing, and it is insanity to me. It's crazy what people think is acceptable, what people think is normal. It's insanity. Even clear-thinking people that were not Christians 50 years ago, if they would see this, they would say, what happened? You know, is there some sort of chemical warfare going on that everybody's brain has been fried and now we're just allowing anything? Yeah. Yep. Pretty much. So, um, we're seeing... Um, the very prophecies, the events that the Bible said was going to happen, we're seeing them happen. Step back 2,000 years. Jesus was fulfilling the prophecies that were written in the Old Testament. But the people that were supposed to be guarding those prophecies, the people that were supposed to be aware of those prophecies and preparing for them to be fulfilled are the very ones that are going to put Jesus to death. They're the very ones that are ignoring everything that was written in the past. And we're seeing that very thing happen today in our world as churches that call themselves Christians deny the truth of what the Bible has to teach us. Whether it's Old Testament prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled or New Testament prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled, as we're seeing all of this take place right before our very eyes, they're ignoring it. And they're saying, no, this is not the truth. They mock people who believe in the rapture of the church. 
they mock them saying that, oh, none of that is going to happen because all of everything that needed to be, take place in Revelation, all of that took place in 70 AD. Once the temple was destroyed, once Israel was destroyed in 70 AD, everything was fulfilled. There is no more prophecy to be fulfilled. That's their take on things. My take on things is the Bible is still speaking to us today and is very clearly teaching us that the events that are taking place today are the very prophecies that were predicted in the Old and New Testaments and we're seeing them right before our very eyes be fulfilled. And so as we look at this story of Jesus riding into the city of Jerusalem, as he's riding through the Kidron Valley, all of that was prophecy that is being fulfilled. When the order was given for the temple to be restored, for the wall to be rebuilt in um, Nehemiah's day, that started a clock that went exactly 69 weeks of years and it ended the day Jesus rode into the temple mount area through the Kidron Valley. That was exactly to the day of when the order was given to rebuild. So that's prophecy given by Daniel. And so now that we have that prophecy and we've seen the fulfillment of it, we can be sure that the last part of that prophecy, there's a seven week of years or seven year prophecy that is still going to take place. It's in the future. And that will be fulfilled because the rest of it was. So as we look and see how all of this is being fulfilled, we can see what happened in the past here, and what's going to happen in the future, we can trust that it's going to happen exactly the way Jesus said. We weren't given dates, by the way. We were given the scenario of, hey, when you see these things, know that it's right at the cusp. We're, we're right where things are going to happen. So we look the same way at the scripture when it tells us Something we don't want to hear, many people ignore it. Many people say, well, I don't need to know that part of Scripture. I don't need to, because that's, that's not important. And it's true. It's not important as your relationship with Jesus Christ. That is primarily the most important part of Scripture. Where do we stand in Jesus Christ? Have we accepted him as our Lord and Savior? Has we, have we invited his Holy Spirit to live inside of us? All of the other stuff that goes along with it is nice. But that's the most important thing. Because if we didn't do that, then we can be believers in prophecy and believers in doctrine, but we miss out on salvation. What good is that? So Jesus is now going to fulfill prophecy, but it's not going to be the great joyous occasion that everyone believes it's going to be.
We turn now to Luke chapter 19. We're going to be starting in verse 29. And it came to pass, when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Loose it, and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. And so here he sends two of his disciples, Go get this donkey. This colt, the foal of a donkey. No one's ever ridden on it before. It's young. It's unbroken. And go and bring that to me. And he already knew that someone was going to ask. Because he gave the answer and said, if anyone asks you, this is what you tell them. So obviously he knew. And he knew the proper answer to give them that they would give them the colt. And they went and fulfilled that part of the prophecy, bringing that cult to him. 500 years earlier, Zechariah the prophet wrote in Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, Jesus was fulfilling. Now, he didn't say, oh, I read Zechariah 9, 9 this morning, and I'm going to fulfill this. You see, that, and some people would say that. Well, he was just fulfilling something because he was aware of it. Well, Jesus fulfilled 300 different prophecies in his birth, in his life, in everything that he did. And most of those he didn't have control over. He didn't have control on being born of a virgin because he was a baby, right? He, he was not even a baby at that point. And he didn't have control. He didn't have control of going to Egypt. He didn't have control uh, of you know, running away from a murderous king, from going back to Nazareth. He didn't have control over many of these things, but he was fulfilling prophecy, one thing after another after another, just by living his life. And he is still doing that at this time. You see, because from God's perspective, he sees the beginning, the middle, and the end, all of it, at one time. We can't fathom that. You know, best picture I can give you is the Goodyear blimp over a parade and you can see the beginning, the middle, and the end from the Goodyear blimp. But if you're at street level, everything's going by you right here. And you have to wait for the end to get to you. Well, that's how we're living our lives. We're living at street level. But God has the heavenly perspective of seeing everything all at once. He knows exactly what's going on. We're the ones stuck in this timeline. He's not stuck in a timeline. 
And so he can see it all. He knows what's going to happen. So the donkey was a colt, meaning that it was a male, and a foal, meaning that it was about a year old or under a year old. It was not ridden, never been ridden before, means it wasn't broken. And the term used for the donkey was onager. Well, onager means a wild donkey. It's not a donkey that was raised with other donkeys and then trained. This was a wild donkey. And so the disciples weren't really sure what he was going to do with the donkey. He was just told, they were told to bring him. So they said, okay. John chapter 12, verse 16, John talks about that, about them bringing the donkey. And he said his disciples did not understand these things at first why he was bringing the donkey. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things were written about him that they had done these things to him. And so the big picture, they didn't know what was going on most of the time. But when Jesus was resurrected from the dead and they received the Holy Spirit, everything became clear to them. One of the, you know, people say, well, what are the indications that you're saved, that you have received the Holy Spirit? One of the indications is not, you must speak in tongues. That's something people say. Oh, well, if you don't speak in tongues and you're not saved, you haven't received the Holy Spirit. That's the, the evidence for the Holy Spirit. No, because Paul said, hey, I wish you all spoke in tongues, but, you know, that's not necessary to be saved. The, what's necessary to be saved is receiving the Holy Spirit. So how do you know if you've received the Holy Spirit? Well, one of the first indications in my life was the fact that I desired to know God and to read his word and to get closer to being with Jesus, knowing him through his word. That was one indication because before I accepted Jesus Christ as my savior, I had no interest. All of my interest was in me. Now, I still have some interest in me, but my primary interest is what is God doing in me and through me? But that didn't come like the first week I got saved. You know, the first week I got saved, it was, oh, I love the Lord. I love what he did for me. And how does it benefit me? You know, and I was looking to see what, what the cost benefit was in, in having a relationship with Jesus. Over the years, though, I realized that the only way that I could truly benefit from a relationship with Jesus is giving him full control over my life. Because every time I tried to hold back an area of my life, every time I said, you know what, Lord, you can have all of that, but not what's in here. Not what's in this closet. You can have door number one, door number three, Door number two, no. That, that's my stuff. I'm bringing it with me. Every time I've done that, I realize that 
I didn't enjoy the benefits of door number one or door number three because I was so fixated on door number two on the things that I thought were important. And they weren't important. And my life was stressed out all the time. Everything that I wanted to happen wasn't happening. And I, I, I realized, oh, I have to give that stuff up. And then when I gave it up, it had an impact on every area of my life. So now I know that you're thinking, well, now that you're perfect, Pastor, um, what is it that I can... No, I haven't got there yet. There's still plenty of stuff that I haven't finished cleaning out door number two. Door number one and door number three have lots of good stuff, but door number two is still unloading. I'm, I'm still taking it, you know, it's like when you try to clean your garage and you just move the stuff from one side of the garage to the other. Okay, it's a little more organized now, and, and, but it's still in the garage. Need to get it out. I, I don't need the distributor wrench. I don't tune cars anymore. I don't even know that if cars have distributors. Any, I don't know, and, but I keep it just in case. Just in case someone donates a 66 Ford Mustang, and you know, then I can go ahead and adjust it. The disciples weren't filled with the Holy Spirit, but when they were, they were fully aware of what God had taught them through the Old Testament and through the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. They were fully aware of what God was going to do. Then they brought him, this, this donkey, uh, in verse 35. Oh no, I'm sorry, I'm back in 32. So when... Uh, those who were sent went their way and found it just as he said to them. But as they were loosing it, uh, the owners said to him, Why are you loosening coat? And they said, The Lord has need of him. And then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. So here the apostles went and got the colt, brought him to Jesus, put their own clothes on the colt. So uh, that probably isn't really significant. But I know people that have donkeys and horses and stuff like that. And if you put something on the donkey, um, you have to have a lint roller, um, you know, handy. Because as soon as you take it off, you're going to get donkey hair everywhere. It's going to be all over the place. And in those days, they didn't have lint rollers. So it kind of ruined the clothes. It, it made it very um, uncomfortable. But they didn't care. They were giving their clothes up because Jesus was getting on that donkey. And all the people put their clothes on the road so the donkey can walk on the clothes and not on the road. It's a picture of what people would do in those days for kings. When a king came to town, they would clear the road of all of the stones and, and all of the potholes. They would fill them in and they would smooth out the road 
they would do what they call straighten the way and make the way straight for the king that was coming in. And so they were preparing Jesus. They, the, the, the road was dirt. It, it just wasn't asphalt. It was dirt. And you know what? A king doesn't need to be walking on. Even his donkey doesn't need to be walking on dirt because he is the king. And that's why. He, now, a king riding on a donkey means peace. I'm coming in to bring peace. If a king came in on a stallion with his army following, that meant victory. He took the, the area in battle and he's victorious. And he's coming in as a conquering king. But Jesus, on the back of this donkey, riding in, was the sign of peace. It was the Prince of Peace entering into Jerusalem. He was bringing peace to the world. And so that wasn't really what they were expecting. They were expecting a conquering king to come in and get rid of their enemy, the Romans, and establish his kingdom. But Jesus didn't have an army with him. He was coming in with just these people that had followed him from Galilee and, and that region, the northern region. The reason why they were following him is because they were going there for Passover too. Everyone was going because they were just fulfilling their obligation to be in Jerusalem for Passover for their regular visits three times a year for the three feasts. And so they were with him because who better to arrive in Jerusalem with than Jesus, who had been doing all these miracles, who had been demonstrating that he was the Messiah in Galilee, not in Jerusalem. He wasn't at the temple teaching daily in the temple so that everyone in... You have to realize that the people that lived in Jerusalem, most of them didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't have, they may have heard of him, but they didn't know who he was. So as he's coming in, the people that were cheering were not from Jerusalem. They were from Galilee and Judea. There may have even been some Samaritans there after he stopped and visited with the woman at the well. And then Samaria, many of them heard the good news and were saved. And so here they are as he's riding in, they're spreading their clothes on the road and he's drawing near and the multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. You see, they were witnesses to the mighty works that Jesus had done, and that's why they were praising God. Because they recognized this is the Messiah. And they're praising God for that, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So this was an exciting time for them. They were thrilled that Jesus was riding in. They weren't quite sure 
what was going to happen next, but they were thrilled that he was... So the Kidron Valley, it's a wash. Basically, if you look at some of our washes here, and if you have a home on a wash and you look across, you can see another home over there, and it just goes down and comes back up on the other side of the wash. That's the Kidron Valley. You can walk it in five minutes. It just goes down and comes back up again from the Mount of Olives down and then right back up to the Temple Mount area. Right through the East Gate is where Jesus was going to go through. And so while this was taking place, it was fully lined with all of these people cheering. If you were on the other side of the Kidron Valley, you can look and see Jesus on the donkey as he's riding through. That's why everyone was cheering, because they can see all of the people that were lined up along the Kidron Valley. can see, if you're interested, we're planning a trip next March to go to Israel. If you're interested, we are planning it. So let me know that you're interested. I'll get you some paperwork to fill out. And then, but it, it, it is a commitment um, to go there. Uh, there is a lot of walking. It's miles a day, but it's worth every minute of it. Chuck Smith used to say that uh, a trip to Israel is like a year in Bible college. The, the amount of information that you learn there. So while it is beautiful and you get a lot of information and stuff like that, it's intense. It's an intense trip. And, um, and many people that go once say, I need to go back so I can get... I remember our first trip, I was taking notes and I had writer's cramp by the end of the first day. You know, and I, oh, 10 more days of this? You know, and, and so... I continued to take notes and everything, and I wasn't appreciating everything that I was seeing. And, and so the second time I went, I said, you know, no, I'm taking the notes before I go. And, uh, and well, of course, I was teaching at, at a bunch of those sites, but I didn't want to spend my time looking at, uh, re reading notes or were writing notes. I wanted to see what was going on there. And so if you're interested, um, let us know because we're preparing for that right now. We're going with um, Calvary Chapel in Queen Creek and probably three other Calvary chapels. There'll uh, be at least one bus, maybe two buses uh, going on this trip. So they were excited to see Jesus arrive as the Messiah. They wanted to see him conquer the enemy. But Zechariah 9.9 told them that he was coming. And that's how come they were confused. Because they said, oh, you know, he's coming. And he's going to, you know, establish his kingdom. But many of them didn't consider Zechariah 9.10. Where it says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim. And the horse from Jerusalem, the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. He wasn't coming in a battle. He was coming in peace. 
Well, that's still to come. That's going to happen. You see, the battle won't really be much of a battle. And the second coming of Christ, he's coming and he's going to speak the words and the enemy will be destroyed just by words. We're coming back with him on horses. I know some of you are saying horses. I don't know how to ride a horse. Well, you'll have seven years to learn uh, from the time of the rapture to the time he comes back. You, you, you got some time. And, and so as he's coming, we don't have, we're, we're coming, we're the army, but we don't have any weapons. We don't have to fight. He's with the word of his mouth. That's going to be the, all the weapons that's necessary. And, you know, we're just along for the ride. And uh, we'll be arriving at that time. He's going to bring peace. So, God's plan is still being carried out today. Just so that you know. It hasn't been stalled. God knows the timing of his plans. He knows when he's going to fulfill his plan. We don't. But, we're told to be ready all the time. Because whether we go home to be with him before he comes, uh, or we're here when he comes to pick us up, um, either way, we're going. We're, we're out of here. So, might as well be prepared. You know, and we, we don't get to make that choice after we die. We have to make the choice before we leave this earth. Back in our text, not everyone was uh, praising uh, Jesus then at that time. We look in verse 39, and some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. That would have been cool. I would have been quiet just to see the stones cry out. But Jesus already knew that, you know, he was going to be honored, worshipped, glorified, right there with these people that were coming in. And the Pharisees, why would they tell him to shut up? Because they didn't believe he was the Messiah. And they wanted to shut. You know, um, in Matthew chapter 21, in verse 10, And when he had come into Jerusalem, the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And so the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. The people that lived in Jerusalem were asking this multitude of people who were praising Jesus, who is this? They didn't know. Because Jesus wasn't in Jerusalem preaching to them and, and teaching them. He was in Galilee. And although they probably got wind of this guy that's, you know, saying he's the Messiah up in Galilee and he's doing these miracles, they really didn't know him. And so when all of this was happening, they were still 
unsure of who Jesus was. That's happening in our world today. There are millions, billions of people that still don't know who Jesus is because they don't have a relationship with him. They know nothing about him. They don't know what the Bible says. I, I can't believe how many people claim to be Christians and have no idea what the Bible says. They say that they believe in Jesus Christ. Well, so do the demons. And, and they tremble at the thought of Jesus. But the fact is, without having a relationship, it, that would be like me getting married, uh, but living in a different country and, you know, not talking to my wife. And then maybe twice a year, Christmas and Easter, going and visiting with her. You know, hi, honey, how things going? You know, it wouldn't fly. You know, by the way, I still love you. You know, Jesus wants to have that relationship with us every day. He wants us to be talking to him every day, listening to him every day. And the easiest way for us to listen to him is to know what he says through his word. So, the Pharisees were upset. They were beside themselves. They were losing control is what they were really upset about. You see, up until that point, in Jerusalem, the people were still attending the sacrifices and, and attending the synagogues in, in Jerusalem and attending the temple, and they were still tithing to that organization there. But in Galilee and in Nazareth and in those regions, so many people had left Judaism that they weren't having the income from the people. They weren't giving the money to the Jewish church anymore. And really, Jesus, did, Jesus didn't pass a plate. Jesus never took a collection, you know. Oh, we're going down to Jerusalem. We're going to need some extra cash to get down there. And never did that. And so that's why I don't. I figure if Jesus didn't do it, I don't need to do it either. We'll just put a box in back and whoever wants to give, gives. And Jesus never had a problem getting things taken care of. They always had enough food. They always had enough of everything because Jesus provided for everything. He uses you to do it so you could be part of his plan. Isn't that cool? You get to be part of his plan. And when we see God carrying out his plan through his people, it just excites us to be part of what he's doing. And, and you know, I... I want to keep doing that until he comes. All the people were cheering except for one person, the most important person. Verse 41, now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for your peace. But now 
they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave you in, uh, leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus is saying, look, God is with you right now. I'm here. But because you didn't listen, because you weren't aware, you're missing out on the greatest thing. He's weeping. See, it, it says that he was crying, he wept over it. But that term means that he was sobbing uncontrollably. He was just sobbing while he's riding this donkey into the east gate, onto the temple mount. And people probably were looking at him saying, oh, look how joyful he is. It, it made him cry how joyful he is by all the praise that was being offered to him. And nothing could be further from the truth. The people that were there that were saying, who is this? They didn't realize that it was the very person that all of their prophets had been talking about for hundreds of years. Today the world is living as if Jesus will never return. They're living as, and this is as good as it gets. Oh, we're going to try to make it better. We're going we're gonna to build back better, and we are go what are you laughing at? Hey, we're working on it. I don't care who is in office. I don't care who the human is. The best human, Elon Musk could now be elected and it's not going to change a thing. Because prophecy is prophecy. It tells us What's going to happen? And so no matter who the human is that's trying to run things, they're limited by the fact that they're human. And only God has all of the answers and he's the only one that can fulfill everything that he said he was going to fulfill. It, he's just using us to do a lot of it. You know, he wants us to be part of it. Isn't it cool to be part of something so great, so phenomenal, and we get to be part of it? That's what he really wants. He wants us to be involved. So the part that we play is the fact that we get to tell others about who he is. When those people from Jerusalem came out and said, who is this? We get to be the group saying, that's Jesus, the Messiah. Oh, heard about him. There are many people that are confused about who Jesus is. They don't want to give up who they are to live for who he is. Before the triumphal entry, 
is what we call Palm Sunday. Before that happened, Jesus told a parable, a parable of the minas. And this is all in chapter 19. It starts in verse 11, but it goes on. And Jesus talked about this nobleman that goes off to another country. But before he goes, he gives money to his servants. And he says, do business until I come. But many of the people of that land said, we don't want him as our king. We reject him as our king. But the servants did what they were told. They did business until he came back. And so when he came back to collect his kingdom, and he talks to the servants, and one servant says, hey, you gave me 10? I got 10. I made 10 more. And he said, oh, great. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you did that, you get control over 10 of the cities. And then the next one said, hey, I increased five. Good, good job. You get five cities. And the next one said, hey, I knew you are, are a stern and austere man. And I knew that, oh boy, if anything happened with your money, that I would be in trouble. So I just hit it. And now that you're returning here, you have your money back. And he said, you could put it in the bank and earn interest. Interest is something that um, it increases the amount of money. We haven't had that in a long time when you put money in the bank. But it, it's something that is valuable and, and you can increase the amount of money that you have. And, and so he said you could have put it in the bank and earned interest. At least it would have earned something. Uh, but, um, you know, he wasn't a good... So he said, hey, take it from that guy and take that and give it to the guy that had ten. Because those that have much, more will be given. But those that have very little, it will be taken from them. The thing that he didn't lose was his salvation. It, it wasn't, hey, I'm taking from you and you're tossed out into the wilderness. But he said in verse 24, And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten minas. But they said, Master, he has ten minas. And he said, For I say to you that everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Now, it says, But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. There are people in this world that do not want Jesus to reign over them. They want Muhammad, Confucius, Buddha, Joseph Smith. They want other people. They were okay with them. But Jesus, no. We're not going to have him rule over us. Some say, I don't want anyone to rule over me. Well, that means that you're the king. Right? If you don't have anyone ruling over you, then you're the top dog. Basically, you've made yourself God. And, and so, that's what we see in our world today. Those are the people that are going to be tossed out 
They're going to be with the devil. Now, hell wasn't created for humans. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. It wasn't meant for humans. So people going to hell chose to go there by selecting who their God was. Whether it was themselves or whether it was a religious system. You can be religious and go to hell because having a relationship with God has nothing to do with religion. Having a relationship with God is personal. It's intimate between us and God personally. We put him on the throne and we remove ourselves from that throne. Sometimes we're still clinging to the throne. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we have struggled with that. But we really have to give the throne completely to him. As he comes into Jerusalem, he knows that he has five days left. He knows what the end of the road is going to bring. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows it all. And as he's going in, he knows who of those people are his. He knows who are the ones that have that relationship with him. Who are the ones that are prepared? And who are the ones that will be yelling on that day, crucify him, crucify him. He knows who they are. But he loves them all equally. He didn't come to save the people that were perfect because then there wouldn't be anyone that would be qualified. But he came to perfect the ones that received him as Lord and Savior. And that's what each one of us need to be sure of in our own lives. We need to be convinced that we are walking with him, that we believe in him, that we trust him with our own lives, and that we've given him our lives to the point where we're not in control anymore. It's easier said than done. But the good news is he is going to finish the work. He's coming and he's going to finish the work in us. And we're leaving here in new bodies. We're leaving here completed. The work that he's going to complete is going to be perfect. And so while I may not feel perfect today, I know eventually it's going to happen. Amen?